Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. I have a, a series about God's will. What is God's will for our lives, for my life? How do I make decisions? One of the key statements that we've made, because sometimes we get so confused and we're so we're so confused over specific actions. Should I even, what clothes should I wear today? Does God care? Or where should I shop? Should it be uh, Sainsbury's or Tesco's? And we find out that actually maybe God isn't as concerned about where we are rather than who we are. Uh, and maybe God isn't as concerned about what we do rather than how we do it. As the Bible says, serve as unto the Lord. It's about an attitude. It's about a higher you doing it, you're doing it with a spirit of thankfulness or a spirit of bitterness. Or, or, or where you are, are, are you active, actively loving people and loving God where you are? Because it doesn't really matter where, where you are as much if, if you're already out of God, if you're already really not into being in God's presence, if you're already not into putting God first, where you are it doesn't matter as much as who you are. And so we're just trying to expose those things that we can so easily chase after destinations in life. We can so easily, I would be content, I would be happy, I would be fulfilled. No, you wouldn't. Because fulfillment goes deeper than just the outside. Your ability to overcome obstacles and external forces and bitterness isn't about external things. The problem is external in the first place. It's internal Forgiveness is internal. Promises are internal. The temple of the Holy Spirit is internal. It's on the inside, and that's what God wants us to protect and to look after and to water and to keep green and fresh. And so, and, and so a lot of, all of what Jesus was speaking about was eternity, and, and it begins on the inside, not on the outside. We can't really change too much on the outside. Then last week, we spoke about do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, what's that talking about? It means whatever you do on the outside, wherever you are, don't do anything with a selfish heart. There is no right. It says do nothing, no thing. That's inside. That's an inside problem. And then we finish with your privilege is your pulling power. So meaning um, God has given us all a talent. God has given us all maybe resource to different levels to different people, but we find that where you're strong is where you have the ability to help others. If you're a prayer warrior, well, then you, you can help people in the area of prayer. If, if you've got the, the gift of helps, which is why we go through growth track, then you have the ability to maybe serve more than the average person. If you've got the gift of worship, Maybe you, you have the ability to develop your ability to lead people into the presence of God. If you have resource money, then you have pulling power in that area to help build things, to help resource things that make a difference. Can I get amen? And so the question I want you to ask you is not, where am I? It's who am I and what do I have in my hand? The Bible actually says, to whom much is given, much is required. What does that mean? That means the gifts that you have require something. It requires something off of you in regards to God's will. Because God's will is to love Him and to love people. And loving people often looks like a verb, which is do, love is a doing word. 
And so that doesn't look like sitting back and watching in the pews or in the grandstands of the game. It looks like being on a field, getting on the ball and making things happen, closing the ball, moving it forward, being a team player. And that's why we have as a church a dream team. So anyhow, I'm going to get straight into the scripture. This message today is called The Bible and What We Experience. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I just pray and ask you to bless Uh, your word to our ears. I pray that we would have open ears. Help me as your servant to deliver your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it to 2 Peter chapter 1. If not, we'll have it on the screen. I'm going to read through a few verses. So let's concentrate just for a few seconds. Um, Verse 12, it says, this is Peter speaking here. This is the Peter that tried to chop off ears and did. This is the Peter who was a little bit boisterous and rebellious in some ways, and Jesus had to tell him to calm down multiple occasions. He was rough on the surface. Um, But it's also Peter who preached and seen thousands of people get saved. So he's trying to tell the church here to be aware of false teachers. So it goes on to say, so I will always remind you of these things. There's something that we need to remember. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. So they didn't have this truth, but they also need to be reminded of this truth. It's that important. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent, in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside or die as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that my departure that my t- departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So he's trying to reestablish or establish these beliefs so that they don't fall for false doctrine. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus in power. So he's saying, listen, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a human devised plan or smart story to try and create a cult that goes across the earth. He's saying this is not something that really makes sense in the natural. This is not something that we were trying to be smart about. It's not a cleverly devised plan or story. Cleverly devised stories, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We actually seen it. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, and with Him I am well pleased. We, are, we ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain, the mountain of transfiguration. We also have, what's this? We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. What, what is the prophetic message? He's talking about the Old Testament. He's, he's actually saying, listen, in, in some ways, I guess... Jesus had come. They had witnessed his power. They had heard the Father speaking to him. In some ways, they might be thinking, right, Jesus' message is on a different level to the Old Testament. He's not just giving us the law of Moses and the do-nots. He's actually bringing it up a level, and he's saying, love your enemies. He's doing miracles in the flesh. We're seeing something significant happen. Maybe we should just let go of the Old Testament and move to this new era. But what Peter's saying is, listen, do not let go of the old the prophets of old, he's saying it's valuable, it's, it's reliable. The, prophet, the prophetic message is something completely reliable. 
you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about, what's this, by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So Peter's trying to really establish that, listen, although this was written by a human, although this was a prophetic word through human hands, you know, they, they, they reported their wit, what they witnessed, he, he's saying that this was not their own interpretation. This is what he's claiming. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, God's will, human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as if they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we're talking about God's will. We're well, what does God's Word, the Bible, have in regards to God? Well, this is what we're going to address today. It's really important. Some of you might ask, well, is the Bible really authoritative? Maybe you might even argue that you don't like certain parts of it, or there's certain parts you struggle with. Um, why should it have authority? Is it, is it a good authority? And how does that actually work itself out in our real lives with our real feelings and our real experiences, etc.? And so I guess the way we can look at it is if you're reading a novel, say, in school or, or at home or, or whatever, the problem with reading the Bible and throwing out one part is the, the first part, the Old Testament, is the beginning as it says in, in, in creation in Genesis, it's in the beginning. It's the starting chapter. And so if you, if you have the end of the story in Revelation or the end of the story in, in, in the New Testament and you miss out the first chapters, then the end of the story doesn't really make sense. Vice versa, if you, ha you have the beginning of the story but it has no end and no final chapters, the, f the story is not complete. And so Peter's trying to say, listen, we've got to link it all together. Don't throw out the old it's God breathed. It's God's word. And we're going to see Jesus speak to this in just a second. And so we, we must understand that if God can produce people, He can also, you and me, He can also produce people that were ordained and, and sovereignly picked to breathe Scripture. If God can create the universe, breathing some people onto, onto the earth, speaking them into existence, who, are, who use all of their life experience to write a book of the Bible, that's not far-fetched for God. Can you get an amen? And so watch this. This is... Um, so, so some of you might have heard, if you've been around church a while, about a red-letter Bible. A lot of you maybe don't see that anymore because you've got apps. But, but there's a thing called a red-letter Bible. And that's basically a Bible which highlights the parts in which Jesus speaks. And so the problem with that is... We can get into a mindset that the red-lettered parts are more valuable than the rest. Are you with me? Because that's what it kind of is really saying. It's like, right, the red parts are the ones you pay most attention to because it's Jesus. But actually, Jesus speaks against that mindset and that theory. And I'll show you how. It says here in Matthew 19, verses 3 to 6, Jesus is speaking to a topic which has been brought up about divorce and marriage and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus actually goes right to Genesis, right to the beginning of the Bible, and this is what it says. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus said. He replied that at the beginning, the Creator made them male 
and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what's this? Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Separate. So he's basically saying in Genesis, although God didn't physically write Genesis, a, a human author did, there, 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 he's acknowledging, Jesus is saying that the author was of God, that it was as if God was writing Genesis. Does that make sense? So, Jesus is validating that God spoke the scriptures and written, the scriptures are written through a human author. And so, so there's some people who would say, well, no, I just go with Jesus, and Jesus didn't mention some things, but Jesus has just validated the whole scripture. The Old Testament, the prophets, the prophecies that were, that were made, he, and we're going to go a step further. So the Bible is God's word written by men. This is what Jesus is, he's basically linked all of the scripture together there in that statement. And it's not the only place that Jesus responded with scripture. Let's think about when Jesus was assaulted in the desert by the devil. He was on a fast, he was hungry, and he was tempted with bread, and, and he was tempted with fame, and he was tempted with all these different things. And Jesus' response was this, it is written. So his first response when he was in, in a place of need was the Scripture, the Word. The Bible actually describes Jesus as the Word that became flesh. Then let's give, I'll give you another example. Um, Jesus is about to, to be uh, imprisoned, or he's about to be taken captive by the guards and, and arrested. And Peter's with him. And Peter draws his, his sword. He's about to throw down. He's about to fight the guards off in, in, the, in the belief that, oh, I can protect Jesus. I need to do something physically. And Jesus responded with an interesting statement. He says, put your sword away. If I wanted, I could, draw, I could call upon 12 legions of angels to destroy these people in a flash. But he, what, what did he say? For the scripture to be fulfilled from the prophetic message of old in the Old Testament, this must happen. I must surrender my life to death. And let's fast forward again. Jesus is on the cross. And what, what does he cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's actually taken. I didn't realize this. That's taken from Psalm 22. So, so what we see is that Jesus' grid, Jesus' system in place that he had as a first response was always the Scripture, was always the Word, was always what does the Word say? Because he actually was the word that became flesh. So Jesus' first response was the scripture. So the problem is, if you're following, you say you're a follower of Christ today, but you don't, oh, I don't agree with that part of the scripture, that's uncomfortable for me, well then, what are you following? It's actually, what you're following is make-believe. Oh, I like this part of church, I like this part of the Bible, but the rest I kind of throw out, well... Well, Jesus would say, well, then you wouldn't follow me down the road because I, Jesus took all of the Scripture with him. It was all intertwined. It was all connected. Can I get an amen? Those who didn't, are, you're starting to struggle. You're like, oh, no. 
you've just pierced my little bubble. It was nice to live in that wee bubble, but it's gone. Jesus' core operating, operating system was the Bible. It was the Word, the Old Testament. Obviously, he was, the, the New Testament was just being written. And so the question is, why is that a good thing? Why is it good to live by the authority of Scripture? What if it's awkward? What if it causes you to be in awkward conversations? What if it, it even looks destructive in some ways? What if it, 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 maybe get, it might get you rejected if you shared your opinion? Well, the reality is we all have a life authority. It, whether it's tradition, family tradition, it might be the tradition of society, it might be the tradition of wherever you've been brought up. And we all have um, feelings, which, to be honest, in today's world is probably a life authority for a lot of people, if we're honest. Some of us, we don't ever ask these questions of, why did I do that? Or why did I feel I needed to do that? Or why did I feel bad about not doing that? We, we never actually, we're not really asking the deeper questions to why a lot of the time. We just drift. And some of it might be your religion, the religion that you were brought up in, and you've got the authority and it gives you a structure and that's what you go by. The worst part is some of us, we just don't even understand or realize that's what it is and why we have certain convictions, etc. And so, and I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how when I was 10 years old, there were certain things that mattered to me. There were certain things I was passionate about. And I used to hear the word, this word, it used to annoy the life out of me, but it used to, used to be quite common for me. It was, no, can I go? No. Can I have? No. And there was various reasons for those no's, but it, it, it didn't affect how much pain I felt and how much frustration and maybe some of my behavior wasn't that good when I got the no. But it happened. But when I was 15 and I looked back to when I was 10 or 7 or whatever, I thought, oh my word, that guy was an idiot. That guy was so silly. Like I understand now what my parents and why they said no, I might have died or might have looked very different if I hadn't have had that no to cross the road that time or had that no to keep eating and stealing all the cookies out of the cupboard. I, I probably needed a few no's to protect me. But then let's fast forward from 15 to 30 or 25, and I'm looking back at 15-year-old Phil and thinking, you're a fool. Why, why did you think that the world had ended when that person didn't like you back, Phil? Why did you, oh my word, you shouldn't have reacted that way. That was a waste of your energy. You, you fool, Phil. But hey, now I'm, I'm 30 plus. I forgot my age at this point. <laughs> I don't, it's subconscious. I think I'm insecure about it maybe a bit. Um, and I'm looking back at 25, 26 year old Phil. I'm thinking, oh my word, you're a fool, mate. But here's the joke of it. I guarantee you at 65, I'll look back at 35-year-old Phil and think, fool. And they actually say that, that, that if you live to 130, that you would probably look back at 80-year-old whoever, Phil, and think, you're a fool. So you know what that means? No matter what age you are in here, you're a fool. Because, why? Because we're always changing our mind. We're always changing our values. We're always changing through experience, through knowledge, through what we see differently, through making mistakes. Oh my word, do you believe? So the question is, your life authority, what is it based on right now? 
But will you base it on that in 10 years' time? Or 30 years' time? Etc. Especially in the culture we live in today, it's based on feelings. And feelings are so inconsistent, incoherent. And like I felt, I lived on my feelings and I look back and every time something's changed, I don't have the same feelings, the same beliefs or convictions that I had 10, 20, 30 years ago. And as I grow, the same will happen. And the same will, I would suggest the same is probably going to happen for you or has happened already. So I'm going to give you two examples of how we get these life authorities and how life authority and, and the authorities that we have in our life, whether it be family, whether it be tradition, whether it be culture, our feelings, how the grids in which have been developed around us that we, that we submit to, whether we believe it or not, even though we think, I, I, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, even though we think those things, we're all under authority of some sort. Your feelings are authority if you obey them. It's just whatever you obey, that's your authority. And so we need authority. But the question is, are you under the right authority? So two examples. We're going to give you two examples of two people in two different situations. This, this picks somebody from the Middle East. And there's a man in the Middle East. He's walking down the street, and he has these feelings of anger. And in the Middle East, in this particular place, um, for him to do nothing when somebody wrongs him makes him look, look dis- dishonorable. Because... In the culture he lives in, the honorable thing to do would be to smash someone and defend your space and to overcome somebody who resists you. And so that's what he does, and, and that's an honorable thing, and he feels good about it, and that person will not do that again. And I've gained respect in society now because I smashed that person. But then he goes down the street and he feels these sexual feelings, which don't fit the social norm in, in that particular country that he lives in, in that area. And so he, he controls those feelings, he, he suppresses them, he brings them under the authority of the grid that he has developed through culture. Second man, same, same scenarios, different culture. He's in the westernized world, gets anger, wants to smash people, he wants to lash out people or, or, or maybe mistreat them a little bit, and, and he wants to let that anger go, and he realizes, oh my word, social norms tell me this is not good. I need help. He goes to counseling. He, he controls it. He takes it, makes it, brings it under authority, doesn't let the feelings control him, gets help, but then he's walking down the street, feels sexual feelings towards anything and there's no boundaries, there's no framework, there's no grid, so he, he can identify with whatever he wants. Two authorities, two systems, two very different results. The question is, what is your authority? See, the difference with it coming under the authority of Scripture is Scripture, you could read St. Augustine from hundreds of years ago, and you could read it and realize, well, he's under the same authority I am if you're a believer and follower of Christ. Because it stayed the same. It's not... Traditions change, fashion changes, feelings change. It evolves, but the, the Word of God, like Jesus is evaluating here and pointing towards, is it never changes. We don't just throw out the Old Testament because things are more uh, liberal now, or, or things have changed, or our feelings are different. No, no, it's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Because it's not a flimsy word it's not, it's not just a feeling base. It's not built on sand. It's rock solid. Jesus is the cornerstone. It's built to last. 
because it was before we were, before the beginning of the earth, God spoke it into existence. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? And so the question is, are you a slave to a culture you know, you know not of? Are your feelings wired and structured in such a way and you think they're legitimate convictions, but, but how deep does a feeling go? Are you just convicted by your deepest feeling? Oh, I think this is the right thing to do. I've, I've heard people do that time and time again. And then they flip overnight and, and change their mind. Because they don't even understand. I, I don't even understand myself half the time. Is anyone with me? Often what I've had to learn to do is my feelings indicate where I'm at, what I believe. And say, say for instance, I give you an example. I believe a passionate relationship with Christ is the norm, not the exception. And so if, if I'm not feeling passionate, what I realize is that there's something that I believe that is not correct. My grid has went offline, so I need to revisit my soul. I need to revisit my beliefs and my system and, and put things back into order to protect me. Because the Bible, if the Bible is your authority, it liberates you. It liberates me. Well, what do you mean, Phil? It sounds like bondage. No, well, Let's explain it like this. If you're going down the road, right, and everybody's going with their feelings. Let me, I love telling this story. So listen, I'll give you an example. I'm driving down the road in my car, and I just got a new 2.5 liter turbo diesel, right? And I just want to test it out, and my feelings are excited about going down the M1. I'm not really feelings-based. I'm not really into the, you know, the lines on the road. I don't really like those. They're not my person. They don't suit my personality type. And I kind of love weaving in and out of the lines rather than going straight. Uh, and, you know, the cars, I love to weave. My feelings tell me I'd love to weave in and out of the car. The cars on the M1, and especially when there's three lanes, even better, when we get up towards the M2. Uh, that's what my feelings tell me. So that's my, that's my authority figure in my life. So I'm just going to go with that. And the police officer stops me and says, Sir, what are you at? Are you crazy? Do you realize what you were doing? Yeah, yeah, I was just weaving in and out of the... I was going 80, mile, 80 90 mile an hour, and I know, I know those wee signs say 70 or something, but officer, that's not me. That's not my personality. I just feel better when I'm going fast and weaving in through the cars. What do you think he would do? <laughs> he would get the cuffs out and say, you're going to jail. You've lost the plot. See, some of us, we're living life and we just go with feelings and there is no truth and it's subjective and there's no authority but, but there's no liberty because you, you wouldn't send your child onto the same road as me driving like that because true liberty is confined it's confined freedom where there's structure where there's order because order precedes functionality the same way you have bones in your body and it gives you order to move God has given us his ways, his will to help us to move in freedom. To, actually, that's why the Bible says, I, I, I deny myself. I deny myself and pick up my cross. What does that mean? I deny the feelings of this world and my flesh. Like when I was seven and I was 15 and I was 25, there were so many times I could have ruined myself. I could have crashed the car. I crashed in life emotionally. But I didn't because I... I looked at the authority of Scripture and I just trusted the Word before I understood. And so, let's finish with these last few points 
the will, God's will, our will. What if God wills you to do something you do not want to do or to believe something you do not want to believe? You just don't like it. You're feeling, you get that gut-wrenching feeling and you hate it. Well, if that's you and if that was me, I advise you do not have children. <laughs> what do you mean, Phil? Well, let's give you an example. Say, say there's a father and a mother and they're about 45 and the child is five, and the child says, hey, I'm going to drive the car here. And you say no as a father or mother. And they throw their toys out of the pram. Your will, you're putting their will, and you're putting your authority on the kid. But it's for their good. Why? Because you have about 30 years plus experience and wisdom and understanding of what's dangerous and what's healthy. And so you put your will on the kid to hurt them? No. Do they cry? Yeah, absolutely. Do they moan? Are they mad? Do they think you're completely wrong? Yes. Well, what's this? How much more, if that's the gap between a, a parent and a kid, how much more is the gap between us and God? And so that's why we come under the authority of Scripture, because God's got a wee bit more experience. God's got a wee bit more power a wee bit more wisdom. He understands the human body. He understands how we function. He understands what meets our need. He understands how to save us from sin. And so he sent Jesus as the Word, as the Scripture, to fulfill the Scripture because it's intertwined together. Who are we to tell our kids what to do? To, and tell other people to come under our authority, but we won't come under the authority of Scripture because we don't want to do what we don't want to do. And so it's okay to not want to do it, but we do it. We deny our flesh and we do it anyhow. Yeah, you might have all kinds of sexual feelings, but we deny our flesh and we do it anyhow. The same way a kid has to do it. And it's for our good because he's a good father. He loves us. He's not trying to break us. He's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to direct us and give a way, of, a way that leads to a straight path to life. Amen. And lastly, it says in Hebrews 4, For the word of God is alive, it is active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You see, God's will, that's what it's about. It's about the inside. And then coming into obedience on the outside with how we do things under the submission and the lordship of Christ. See, Jesus came, what's this? Jesus, the son of man, came from a throne on high. But what did he do? He came under authority of God. You see, if we... If we as a church, if we had no authority, no line of communication, we would have chaos. If you went to a school and there was no authority figures, do you think the kids are going to learn? Hey, everyone just go into the assembly hall. We're just going to hope you're going to learn some sums of maths, of science. Good luck with, with those beakers and that Bunsen burner. Just don't blow the place up. It's going to blow up. It's going to be a mess. Especially if I was there. And so Jesus came under the authority of the Father, even unto death. And so, 
Paul says, I tell you these things, but I remind you. And it's important in the world we live in, we can get so attached to what the culture is saying, so attached to what our social circles are saying, so attached to what social media is saying that our grid can shift and we can start to feel rebellious. But, but listen, let's, let's never forget that, that our safest, most secure place is to come under the lordship, the authority of Scripture, the authority of God, like Jesus did, and we will fulfill purpose. We will make a difference. In hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.